Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bank Holiday Monday, ladies and gentlemen. Got a few of these coming up. Next week's a bank holiday and all. Thank you, Charles. Love a bank holiday, me, the nose. Oh, aren't they good? Get back. Um, and here we are at RGM. <laughs> Basically, welcome to a brand new episode of the RGM podcast, ladies and gentlemen. With me, Carmeloni. How are you doing? You all right? <laughs> yeah, we are the RGM Experience podcast. We are the place that have detailed conversations about what it's like at grassroots level here in the music industry. We don't, of course, just cover grassroots. We cover, we cover the whole industry. And today's guest, ladies and gentlemen, is a bit of a legend. Spanning over 40 years of the music industry. Chaz Yankel's coming up, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Chaz Yankel was a new name to me. And I did a bit of Googling. And for 40 years, um, you'll know him from... Ian Jory and the Blockheads wrote loads of famous songs that we'll, we we absolutely cover in the in the podcast. You know, you, you just have to say, "Hit me with your rhythm stick." Sex and drugs and rock and roll songs that have you know they're, they're just part of you, aren't they? Sometimes songs, you know, they're just songs like that. Uh, just speaking to somebody that's written those songs today on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, it was such a thrill and such a just so much enjoyment from speaking to Chaz today on this podcast. You'll 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 be able to tell. You'll be able to tell. Uh, this interview's got it all, ladies and gentlemen. It's got loads of story of uh, Ian Jury, of course. We have a good chat about Ian. Uh, fights within the band. You know, being in the industry for forty years, there's plenty of stories to tell. His brand new album coming out as well, of course. Um, but yeah, this is a big one, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I think he is possibly the nicest person that I've ever spoke to in the world as well. And I've spoke to a lot of nice people. He's up there with Clint Boone. <laughs> I tell you. Yeah, so stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Chaz's interview is coming up very shortly. But of course, we like to have a little and forth don't we before talk to you about what's going on here at RGM so over the last so over this weekend loads of so much music this weekend it's been ridiculous to try and keep up really uh, we've got the new Reverend and the Makers album lottery winners have got a new album uh, let's support these guys get in the top 10 and further if possible uh, my vinyls uh, arrived today I've had a notification for both bands uh, we're going to be covering Sheffield Band before breakfast as well on the on the on the, on the website www.rgm.press to find all the latest news, music, grassroots music, tunes from all over the world. Uh, we've got a lot on this week, ladies and gentlemen, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Sharing new music with you, the music community out there—it's great, isn't it? I love it. So this podcast is going from strength to strength. 
we've had quite big spike. Oh, we've had quite big spikes over the last few episodes. And thank you if you're new to the podcast. Welcome. And for you guys that have been around a little bit, an extra special red carpet for you guys. Thanks. It's just, it's just very much appreciated. You know, I'm just sat here in this little booth here in Manchester, just uh, enjoying what I do, and it, it's just a nice bonus that people actually listen to it. So thank you. Uh, we're not going anywhere. Um, it's just too enjoyable to give up. I have thought about it because you know it does. You know, things do get on top of you now and again. I thought about slowing down a little bit, and maybe taking a few weeks off, but I can't. I, can't. I really can't. It's not in my nature. So you're stuck with me, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen. So you're going to be glad that you stuck around, I promise you, for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know the name, Chaz Yankel, just Google it. In the description of this podcast, there's loads of information on him too. But he enjoyed the blockheads. He wrote all the songs, all those amazing stories to tell. Let's tell them, ladies and gentlemen. Chaz Yankel. Hello, Carl. Thank, thanks for joining us today, mate. I, 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 what, what I love the most is, and, and when I speak to, because we speak to a lot of bands at the magazine, the, the holy grail for anybody starting out in music is to have a, a career in music. And, you know, you've had 40 years of it, mate. Oh, yeah. How do you look back oh. on that? <laughs> um, well, I take one day at a time, yeah. really. One day at a time. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I didn't, well, I, I was professional, I suppose, from my late teens, yeah. but, um, I started playing when I was seven, yeah. way before I even thought of it as a profession. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, um, I saw Lonnie Donegan, um, yeah. holding a guitar. Well, in fact, I didn't know it was a guitar. It was a bit of wood that was like horizontal to his body. Yeah. And I thought that looks like <laughs> it is smiling. That looks like fun. Um, and I asked my parents, can I have one of those things, you know? <laughs> and they, they, they duly obliged and yeah. got me a, a guitar, a little Spanish guitar. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, that's what led us to this interview today. <laughs> it's mad, I mean, it, it, it's mad isn't yeah. it? You know, just, just like, you know, the, the, the journey of music and the creative industry and the troubles and the tribulations that, that goes along with creative industries, particularly from a p- political view and that kind of stuff, where it always seems to be the first thing to get knocked down by the governments and stuff and defunded and all that kind of stuff. But we're still there, aren't we? We're still having it. We won't, we won't take any bullshit from them. No, no. I mean, <laughs> it, it's uh, absolutely. I mean, the arts, I would say, is the last area to be cordoned off, really. Mm. Um, you know, we're very fortunate. Um, I, I feel, I still feel that you can be fairly articulate mm. with your uh, your reasoning and your and your um, feelings th- through music, mm. probably through art, probably through uh, literature. Um, yeah, so I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, if anybody's not heard of Chaz Yankel, how would you introduce yourself to them, mate? That'll listen oh to my this god, uh, I'm a bit of a well. <laughs> I'm a. I would say, um, I'm a singer, songwriter, mm. musician, composer. Um, got a very broad taste in music, mm. actually. Mm. Um, you know, I've. Um, I was born in 1952. I'm still here, Touchwood, <laughs> and Touchwood, uh, and um, 
I love doing what I do. Um, I've been very fortunate. I wouldn't recommend my path to anybody else because I've had a very varied path. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I nicknamed my, nickname myself Butterfly Man, really, because I, you know, I flit from one area to another. But in the bigger scheme of things, I mean, in, if we accept that infinity is the bigger picture, um, why not? Why not investigate everything that uh, comes into your imagination, mm. um, which is what I do. Um, and um, But I do appreciate you can't put every single genre on one album unless you're uh, playing with Ian Dury. I mean, right. he never recognised genres, um, but I'm trying to hone it down with my own work so I just don't go completely nuts um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and give some semblance of unity to a collection of music. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do these days. Um, but as I say, having a very broad taste in music yeah. um, means I can explore endlessly. <laughs> does it? Does that make it harder to finish a project then, being that open to everything? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, one, one thing I've noticed of late, Carl, is stripping back is very ba- important on an arrangement of music mm. so that um, um, that you don't, because, you know, you might just start with initial idea on guitar, say, mm. right? And then the next thing is, all right, you write a lyric maybe, or you don't even have a lyric, say. You go, yeah. And I go into my little garden retreat studio, which is about 25 feet from here. It's at yeah. the end of my garden. And I'll start recording it. And then the thing is, the more you listen to it, the more you get bored with it. Mm. So you add layers and layers and layers. However, if you were with a bunch of musicians in a room, you, you, um, just a, a small so drummer, bass player, mm. and another a keyboard player or guitar player, it, you wouldn't have that issue because that dynamic um, is uh, and that um, feeding off each other creates a whole other energy. Mm. If you're if you're uh, on your own, you tend to think, "Nah, let needs another layer, another layer, another layer." And one thing I've often heard said is is a cliche now but simplicity is everything and when you think about great songs i mean you don't care whether there's a a viola playing or a you know what i'm trying to say is the great great songs um it's it's about the melody it's about the you know about the music this um and um the orchestration and the coloring um is important it's all important but you don't want to overcrowd your arrangement. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I, I think I think that's very important. If any, if I've learned anything, that's it. Don't put too much in. Well, Le- leave something to the imagination. When, if if, if uh, I, I'm getting from that a little bit like post production and that kind of stuff, and all the toys that are around mm. us at the minute, it, it, is, mm. is that is that kind of part of what you mean, mean as well? Is yeah, I do. I I, I mean that um, you don't. Mm. Okay. All, all I meant I, from it. All I, I, meant I, I, from it I was just going to, sorry, sorry, Carl, you yes, say what I, you wanted to say. No, no, I, I was just going to say, I see a lot of bands these days. When I used to be in a band, you used to have a wah-wah pedal, a bit of fuzz and something else. But now you see these bands with like like house sizes, uh, with oh foot pedals on God. and that kind of stuff. I, I, I'm just wondering well, listen, if that, that, that could be viewed as overkill as well, couldn't it, if you know what I mean, and make it harder work. And, yeah, well, I don't know. you're absolutely right. I, I think, once again... Um, you know, you look at the great, great, the greats, you know, I mean, Charlie Parker or, or yeah. Miles Davis or 
you know, he, well, even Jeff Beck. I mean, Jeff Beck, you could, he could play anything. Mm. He, he wouldn't need all his pedals. However, yeah, mm-hmm. he was very sophisticated. Um, but I think you can overgild the lily. Is that the right expression? Yeah. You know, you can do too much. Mm. Um, but I don't want to get stuck into that, you know, into that mindset because I use toys as well. Yeah. But on stage with the blockheads, I just go straight into my amp. I've got one foot pedal that changes channels, and that's a lot. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I remember there was a time when I had three different kinds of phasers. I mean, <laughs> how many men need how, – how many phasers do you need, in, in a, <laughs> you know, in a stump board? I, and it was ridiculous. And then I'd be down on the floor because I'd be nervous about falling over if I hit it with my foot. So then I'd be on the floor, <laughs> you know. And where's Chas going? Oh, bloody hell, he's down there. You know, um, so, no, I like, I like it raw. When I think about the influences I had – as a guitar player mm. when I, in my teens, um, it was, Al, um, it was Albert King. It was, you know, like it was the who it was, mm. you know, small faces, Je- uh, Eric Clapton, you know, people just, you know, like had a great guitar, great one amp, yeah. very few effects really. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Like it's good. I, I, there is a, a bit of overkill, particularly on the unsigned scene when you see these young kids climbing up the little stairs of a little shitty venue somewhere, just like climbing up with all these amps and they bring the biggest amp. They're just like toys, don't they? Just kids and toys. It's, it, it's, it's just funny sometimes when you see. Oh, them. yeah. You know, and the other thing which is really interesting <laughs> about all of this is um, we are subject to what the technology offers us yeah. at any one time. Yeah. <laughs> so I bet, you know, when before somebody had a wah wah pedal, you know, the, the, you know, it didn't exist. And then suddenly, <laughs> you know, you're in a guitar shop trying out a guitar and suddenly from the other side of the room, there's this incredible wah, 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 yeah. wah, wah sound going. You think, what the hell is that? Yeah, I want one. And I want one. <laughs> Mum. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's only 120. Well, mind you, they, they were, they, they've always been expensive, those yeah. things. And But I do like them. It's lovely just to have them, these yeah. these things. Um well, I'd, I'd yeah. like I'd like yeah. to just go back a little bit because you know, mm. having a having a, a career in music over forty years, we're going to come to obviously you've got your new album and a new single coming out that we that we that we are going to cover as well. Obviously, you know, uh, but yeah. go, looking back, you know, what were you like as a as a young kid before music? You know, what was life like around you uh, yeah. politically, and you know what you could see around you as a kid? Hmm. Um... Well, I was fairly fortunate. I mean, I had a, you know, pretty much a middle class background. Mm. I was, um, um, and as I just said earlier, I mean, I, I, um, I started playing when I was seven. Mm. So, um, you know, and, and that was guitar. And about a, a few weeks or months after I picked up a guitar, I started playing piano. Mm. So, I mean, they, they were always there. They were always in the background of my life. Mm. I was always very much a part of my daily uh, procedure. Um, and I went to school pretty normal. I loved sports. Yeah. You know, I was pretty fast running until I started smoking when I was 14. <laughs> uh, then I slowed down somewhat. <laughs> um, I don't smoke now, but I, I did back then. And, um, yeah, so um, I I went to art school uh, when I left, uh, left school. I mean, I had a a dual interest in, in art and music. Right. Uh, and I went to St. Martin's. I got oh. offered to do a, a place there to, uh, to do a, um, a graphics course. I'd done a foundation course yeah. there, um, but I didn't have the, uh, the foresight or the imagination to realize what I could do 
with my artistic talents other than, you know, illustrate books or I I wasn't quite sure how to channel it. Mm. And then we were offered my band Byzantium, who I was playing with at the time, were offered three gigs supporting the faces. And I thought, this is it, big time, you know. (laughs) But the problem was after that, that was it, three gigs and we're done. And I think I went and worked in a greengrocer after that, Um, you know, and I see, I can still see the purple on my hands from, come, <laughs> you know, boiling the beetroots in the morning. You know, yeah. takes a long time to get rid of that purple. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it was once again I kept on playing, and um, my parents were very supportive, um, but I, I, I was lingering at home in my early twenties yeah. because in in my teens uh, I'd been sent to a boarding school. Okay. And um, I, it, I wasn't particularly happy there, but the thing was I had my music, and music was like a kind of a means of escape. I could go wherever I wanted in my head. Yeah. You know, it wasn't because we were only allowed out at certain times, and it, very, you know, it was a bit like a sort of an open prison, really, mm. but you, you could only go out at certain times. Okay. So, um, you know, I was always in the piano, in the music school, playing piano or guitar, yeah. And I use that as a means of escape. And I think I was well into my late 20s when I suddenly realized, you know, I'm still using music as an escape mm. rather than as a means of communication. Mm. And um, even today, I, you know, I, I, I could be in my room writing a piece of music, or yesterday, I should say, because mm. um, I haven't gone into the room today. But um, I still use it as a means of uh, transport. You know, it, it, you can go anywhere you want um, and you don't need a passport. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a wonderful form of um, traveling, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Are you quite introvert yourself personally then? And, and you like to... Introvert. introvert yeah. yeah, I think you're right, actually. Yeah. I think you're right. And I have to balance it up. It's very important that, well spotted, that's the good yeah. word. Um, I think I'm... It's funny because when I get out on stage and I'm playing with the blockheads, it, it does feel, for example, uh, it, well, it feels quite surreal, actually. I think, is this me? Am I in this body doing this? <laughs> you know, and I've got hundreds of people out in the audience and I'm up here. Um, and it, it's, it's a, have you ever, have you ever, you, you, you're a musician, you perform yeah. live. Yeah, uh, uh, we supported, uh, well, the Arctic Monkeys supported my band, the first ever gig they played. There you uh, go. To about 20 people. Uh, and the, the the maximum amount of people we've played to is probably, I think we've played with Spiral Carpets to a few hundred at Leadmill once in Sheffield. Uh, so I've, I've had little experiences of it, which stay magical feel... in my mind. Okay. Well, you know, if everybody was musicians, nothing would happen to about two o'clock in the afternoon. Yes. Right. So <laughs> I, I'm glad in a way that the world isn't just full of musicians because mm. um, I don't think you get a lot done. You yeah. get some great music maybe, but um, I don't think you get bridges built. I don't oh, think yeah. you'd have um, particularly, yeah. you know, really good dentists, yes. um, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, however, um, yeah, sorry, what were you saying? No, you, 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 you were just talking about, like, we, we just uh, just made an observation that you might feel a bit, you know, you use music as an escape, so as a person yeah. you might be introverted. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. And then, so cutting a long story short, in my mid-20s, um, um, I, my, I bought, my parents helped me buy a Wurlitzer electric piano mm. um, from Morris Plaquet in Shepherd's Bush. And uh, just as I was leaving the shop with my 
Wurlitzer electric piano, I said to the, uh, to the manager, I said, listen, if any, everybody, excuse me, if anybody needs a, a keyboard player, give them my telephone number. And um, it, on, I put, wrote it on a little bit of paper, a little scrap of paper, gave it to him. He went, cheers, mate. And then the next day, the guitar player from the Kilburns walked in and said, oh, you know, just chatting to the manager, he said, uh, oh, our keyboard players, our keyboard players just left the band. Oh, there you go. There you go. And that was how things started for me, really, professionally, mm. on, on, a, on a bigger scale. So the next day I was invited to a, a gig of Ian and the Kilburns, which was oh. the last format of Kilburn and the High Roads. Oh. And um, I watched the band. I didn't even know if I liked it, really. I mean, it was <laughs> like I went to a pub, um, yeah. the, the Greyhound, in, um, you know, just in Fulham, the mm. pub Greyhound. And, and Ian and the band were playing very – it was like watching – if there was a band in a Fellini mo- movie, they would have <laughs> been it. I mean, Ian had a Tommy Cooper fez on. Nice. The, the, yeah, it was good look. <laughs> um, the sax player looked like um, um, what's his name? Um, it's not easy to pull off affairs, is it? Fra- no, no. <laughs> Frank's the the, kid, the the sax player looked like Frank Zappa, <laughs> oh, no. right? And they were all playing this weird kind of very, uh, you know, angry kind of animated music, yeah. and I was stunned. I was stunned. And at the end of the set, I just walked up onto the stage, like, you know, take me to your leader kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, and, and I was halfway down the tunnel, the, 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 the corridor that led the stage to the dressing room. And there, Rhodey said from the stage, here, mate, where are you going? He said, if you want to see the band, you go around the front way. Uh, yes. All right, okay, Skipper. Uh, so I, I hopped off the stage, went around the front way, and I'm approaching the dressing room, and it looked like a Turkish bath. I can remember it to this day. It was all steam coming from the room. And one person had his eye on the door sitting there, and he saw me approach. He said, here, mate, do I know you? Well, fuck off then. <laughs> and, and that's how um, <laughs> that's how Ian Dury greeted yeah. me. Oh, no. So I'm, yeah, nice. <laughs> you know, I'm standing there thinking, well, that's a, that's a hell of a sort of, you know, um, welcome, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, it, it's life of backstage and rock and roll I suppose isn't it isn't it and then and as I'm I I spun round and was going round out out the door and the guitar player said he said oh are you Chaz and I went yeah he went oh nice to meet you and and they didn't realise who I was I thought (laughs) I was just a punter Uh, anyway I got the audition the next day they had a rehearsal I got the gig and then months went by we did loads of pubs Ian was the king of the pub circuit did loads of pubs and then one day I'm thinking you know I like this music, but it doesn't really grab me deep down because mm. my love really in my teens had mutated from the Beatles mm. to Afro-American music. Really, that mm. was my, I, when I heard Lee Dorsey, Get Out My Life Woman, which was the B-side of Working Down a Coal Mine, that was it. Um, man, I thought, what is that? The backbeat. Ah, yes. Nice. And, um, you know, and I thought, yeah. I love this rhythm. So I, I really started having a love affair with, with you know, with mm. soul, with funk. Um, not to say I, I turned my back on English music, uh, but, but that then became very deeply embedded with me. And I, and I thought when I was with Ian, they, were done, they weren't playing any, anything that was soulful. It, mm. was, it was quite uptight, sort of yeah. uh, rock, more rockabilly-based, I would say. Um, was it was it difficult to get your influences in with Ian and the rest of the band then? 
Well, not after they, because when I, when I started, as I just pointed out, I just had a world at the piano. They didn't even know, they didn't know right. I played guitar. Oh, okay. They didn't know I played guitar. Yeah. But uh, I've always played both all the time, yeah. right? So I, uh, so I, I, and I said to Ian, do you fancy writing some songs? And he went, yeah, I'd love to. So he stopped doing so many gigs. Mm. I think he was tired of it. Yeah. And one of the first songs was Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Yes. Um, and yeah. that became a big indie hit, uh, massive, number one, you know, in Melody Maker and yeah. NME and all that. And um, one thing led to another. And then we, then we recorded, um, well. Did you know when we, you were writing we, that, that particular song? Because I were going to ask you about it because you can't yeah. do that. There's um, a lot to cram in. When you were writing that song, did you, did yeah. you know it was going to be a hit? No. Yeah. Okay. No, not really. Yeah. I mean, Ian was so, well, I, I, it was something about Ian, you know, he, mm. he was massive. His, his, his stature was mm. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, uh, he, so maybe I'm, I maybe I thought I'm in good hands here. Mm. I mean, he was quite anarchic mm. and it, it was, um, he was unpredictable, but at the same time, his drive, his drive was so, you couldn't argue with him at times. It was yeah. just so his impetus. So maybe that's what also helped in the song being a huge hit. Mm. I mean, sex and my, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I didn't know how to write the music to sex and drugs and rock and yeah. roll. I thought, how do you get a, a melody out of sex and drugs and rock and roll? So when I used to turn up at his um, flat, there'll be a trestle table and a bunch of lyrics and an Olivetti typewriter behind it where he'd been right typing. And so I used to regularly, I used to see this sex and drugs and rock and roll placed on top of the pile of lyrics. And I used to, when he wasn't watching, I used to slip it under, under those, <laughs> the other lyrics and, and tackle something else. It, it, anyway. it, it, it seems like, because you know, even when you say sex and drugs and rock and roll, it just it, it naturally it's naturally in you you know but you know just the history you know it's 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 well, almost in, absorbed in you know in in, in in you know it's just as in me as a human you know it, it feels like exactly. it should be easy but you know when it's not a exactly. thing there yeah and you're creating it, it it's more like a chant than, yeah. a, than a kind of um somewhere over the rainbow isn't it yeah. you know <laughs> yeah so anyway yeah uh, so so um anyway he, one day he says to me how about this chat he goes Bam 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 bam. I went, blimey, that's good because he didn't usually throw these great ideas at me. I went, okay, yeah. So then I pieced together the dun 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 to his lyric, and we put the song out, and it was a big underground, massive underground hit. Where he went, you know, number one, as I said. And a few months after that, I'm round his place, and we're writing another more songs. And he says, do you want a cup of coffee? And I went, oh, yeah, I'd love one. You know, so he pops out of the, the living room, goes to the kitchen. And he put a record on in the meantime. And it was a record by Ornette Coleman called Change of the Century, made in the 60s. Right. So this was like 18 years or something. I haven't worked out these precise amount, maybe <laughs> more than that, before we'd written Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Yeah. Right. And uh, he puts it on. And... Uh, so Ornette Coleman changed the century and I'm trying to figure out a new piece of music for his new lyric. And suddenly in the background, I'm not really aware of it to start with. I, I hear, dum 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 I said, nice. and I'm thinking, where's that? Well, 
That sounds familiar. Oh, my God. It was a bass <laughs> solo by Charlie Hayden on this record, and it was the, the riff to Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Wow. I went, you? And I, as I looked up, Ian was standing at the door with two cups of coffee, go, smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> and I went, oh, Jesus, you know, oh, bloody hell. And, it, and then he had a, you know, a sort of a guilty moment, and somehow he tracked down Charlie <laughs> Hayden, who was on tour, in Japan, and I remember we got Ian got this postcard back saying, mm. "Don't worry, Ian, it's all right. This is not our music. Do what you want with it." Mm. So he actually, uh, and and um, and that was the story of Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Um, so, so just, no, nobody came back yeah. years after, you know, like you know, because you heard the riff from somewhere else. Nobody came back and tried to claim that. No, no, no. And I'll tell you <laughs> what, Carl. What I, my my theory is, I might be wrong. But there's um, an accordionist from um, New Orleans called Clifton Chenier. And he did a piece. I once listened to some of his music. And there was a kind of piece that went... And I thought, is that the roots of, you know, where this riff has come from? And I think, you know, it could well be French, you know, like a French folk tune. I could just see them, you know... yeah. Waltz winding down oh, with a, you know having had a few glasses of vino <laughs> you know having been to a local tavern wandering yeah. down the street singing something like yeah. with a hurdy-gurdy going or something <laughs> i don't know but that's as far as i got with my investigations yeah. <laughs> what was yours and ian's and the band's relationship like with that song over the years because when i've spoke to musicians that have been in music for many years they have mm. different relationships with the song you know they want to do the new stuff um, but they're aware that the fans want to hear the, the the hits and the bit the, you know the, that kind of stuff what's what's your relationship being like with that particular song with that particular song yeah. um um yeah, well, I'm going to accept that it, it is a song that the, the audience really, really like. Mm. Um, I know Norman at one point got, Norman Watroy, um, he got tired of it and he mm. said, oh, you know, go on. And then he says to me sometimes, he says, Chaz, you didn't like sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> I, it was him. You know, I mean, I, I, I've, you know, I enjoyed it. We, we, we did a version of it on Sight and Sound where I, I, I funked it up a bit and I actually added a few more sort of I started getting to the, into a bit of a groove on it. In fact, we even changed the bass line. And that particular version I love. It's on you know, um, BBC Sight and Sound. It's a video up on YouTube. Um, otherwise, because I don't like it when it gets too pedantic. All that. It has to, all music for me has to have a bounce. You know, Otherwise, it's like you know, using a sledgehammer to, to break a nut, you know. Um, nah. So I'm very grateful for the song because yeah. whenever we play it, it's very popular. And I've noticed in Europe, that's still our sort of like calling card, yeah. you know, outside of England, you know, you go anywhere, or Italy, they, they, they love that anarchy or, or the, you know, that, that kind of um, what they associate England was all about in the late seventies, mm. you know, and, and we were the people that brought that to life. Um, what it was, was Ian just being very clever and smart and sort of plucking this slogan out mm. of, out of the air. He, you know, who knows? He might've seen it in the daily mirror. I don't know where he saw it, yeah. but um, it became a chant. 
Yeah. And, it, <laughs> you know, obviously it's not all about one song. Hit Me With The Rhythm Stick, which is more popular to me, just me personally. It's just, it, That's just another massive anthem throughout, you know, millions of people's lives. It, it's quite a responsibility, that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we were so fortunate. You know, late yeah. 70s, like 77, 78, we were at the, the top of our, the peak of our, popularity mm. let's put it like that and a lot of that was due to the fact that um we'd been doing a lot of gigs throughout england we're doing a lot of universities and um so we had a lot of support at that point and um so what happened was um ian had rented a house in kent mm. and um in the living room he had a little drum machine and then he had his drum kit next to it and he put a fender rose electric piano was also there and one in he was just sitting on the drums and and i'll come back to his drive what his particular why you know why he played like he he did um he had a very kind of basic earthy kind of urge feel for his drums so often it would just be four to the floor because because of his polio he Mm. couldn't do tricky things with that leg that hit the bass drum pedal um, so it was very sort of, um, <clears throat> you know, and um, he liked that, it, it liked that sort of drive. And mm. I'll explain why in a moment. But first of all, so he's sitting there playing this drum beat and, and I just started riffing on, on, on the, uh, on the Fender Rose. There's only so long you can do that. <laughs> if you get bored right and so i'd be probably had a cup of tea and later that night i said good night and went back to my house i was living in near pinner in in north london at that point anyway the next morning i i was listening back to a song that was on new boots and panties which was in and out my first album and there's a song called wake up and make love and on the end of it i on the song after in sung his last lyric I, I go, there's a piano break. Goes, and I thought, why do I like that? Why does that, why does that work for me? And I suddenly heard this tiny little, there's a little kind of pickup just before I play the riff. Sorry, it sounds a bit nerdy all this. Anyway, and I thought, oh, if I take that little but, that little kind of, that little, and I put that on the front of the riff that um, I was playing the day before within. I'll get bat ding 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 on bat ding ding. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, <clears throat> excuse me. I thought that's that's amazing, right? Okay, so I called up Ian, and um, and I said, like, you've got to hear this. This is great. Right? And he said, well, come down. I went down, and I think it must uh, it was only a couple of days had gone by since I'd been down at his place. Mm. By this time, he'd put the piano in the garage, there was, well, there was another piano, like an acoustic piano in his garage. It's a bit cold. I remember. Mm. And he'd written out the lyric, very succinct, three verses and a chorus, which was unusual for him. Usually there was kind of pages and pages of lyrics. Mm. It was very prolific, but in this particular case, it was really succinct. Mm. And he said, I'm going back to the house. It's a bit cold in here. So I, <clears throat> I knocked together the verses with my riff, um, which was peppered all over the place on this piece. And went back in the house. It was done, you know. So, and then mm. Ian invited the, the the blockheads down, 
And two, a couple of days later, they rehearsed it. Um, uh, next day or two days later, we went into the workhouse studio, which was Manfred Mann's studio, mm. where we had recorded New Boots and Panties, the album, and recorded it. And I think we did about nine takes of it, but it was take two that was chosen. And um, Just all recorded live, all at the same time? It was all recorded, well, yeah. except the vocal. The vocal was yeah, over, yeah. overlaid. Mm. Um, and my guitar, I played guitar on it. I, I overdubbed guitar, mm. um, the, the break on the end. Um, anyway, um, not the rhythm guitar throughout mm. it, but just the lead guitar style mm. on the end. Um, and then I was so excited by it that <laughs> there was a phone in the, in the, in, you know, in the studio and I called up my mum and I said, mum, we've, we've just recorded our first number one. I, I, it wasn't at number one, but it, I, I was proven to be correct. Yeah. You know, I said, this is, you know, it was just screaming. It, you know, it just had everything that, that maybe Ian and mm. I had been working towards. Not to say it was our greatest song, but it had that, wow, that had something. It was within the grooves. It had magic. Yeah. So once once all these songs are out there, <clears throat> excuse me, in the world, everybody's you know <clears throat> just enjoying them and enjoying the albums, the music, the live performances. How, how was it in the band with Ian? Um, just in general. Well, Ian was a mixed blessing. <clears throat> yeah. Genius. Um, he was ten years older than me. Mm. I'm seventy one now, so he would be eighty one today yeah. if he was still on this planet. Uh, um, yeah, you know, he was, he was very different one-on-one, very, very sweet, you know, um, uh, I do. And I, I know you've asked me, so I'm going to be honest. Um, if he'd had a drink, he could, he could get, he could get quite nasty. He could do not always. Um, but you know, he, 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 if he had a grudge or a gripe about somebody, um, you know, he, he, he could be quite, um, could be a little bit hostile. Mm. Um, and he, I, I likened him to, actually to a gang boss. You know, he was a bit like he, we were his gang. We were his, mm. like, you know, um, yeah, he liked a crew, you know, and he was the, but he was the, the boss. Yeah. Um, he uh, had phenomenal energy and um, just loved life. He, Ian was essentially, before he became a musician, was, was very good at art. And I don't know if you know about his artwork, but he's had, um, you know, the, he, he was very, very good. Peter Blake actually taught him and Ian used to teach art as well. And Ian once said to me one day, he said, when I realized I, I couldn't paint as well as Rembrandt, I'll never be as good as Rembrandt. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go into, I'll, I'll try music. And not only that, you can get more girls that way. Right, I right. mean, like, you know, he was, um, it was a laugh as well. He yeah. did like to have a laugh. Um, you know, he was, he, he did see the funny side of life. He was extremely stoic. Mm. He never complained about his disability mm. and life back then in the seventies was very difficult. Mm. Um, there wasn't the facilities for, for disability getting in you know onto a stage could be a, just could be a nightmare yeah. you know if, if there, there weren't the steps or so um what what was it like you know you, what was it like for you to be part of that crew then did you feel part of the crew did, did you feel valued really you know it, it was it all about ian sometimes was that a problem 
I know because the band's still working today, yeah. and it's a lot smoother today. I mean, okay. to be honest, there, yeah. there isn't, there, there, you know, it, yeah, because you can imagine when, you know, when there's a lot of drugs and a lot of drink involved, yeah. right? Um, it, it's, it's unpredictable. Mm. And, and you probably know people yourself that when they've had a drink, it's like carte blanche, you know, like to, to, to say what they really feel about somebody. But then you have to remember that all well, that's been fueled by alcohol. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it wasn't as mature as it could have been at mm. times. Yeah. But maybe maturity isn't always at the heart of great music. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. it was a very creative period. Um, we were all a lot younger. I uh, had a lot more physical energy. Mm. Um, it, it, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy at times. It was mm. crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember one time, I don't know why, I just, just a thought came up, you know, um, we were playing in Spain and we played, we played in a huge gig in M- Madrid and our next gig, the next night was in Barcelona. And uh, it was just, uh, just at the end of this gig in, Barcelona, in, in Madrid, we were playing our, an encore. It was a song called uh, Francis. And I started it. And um, I didn't realize that the sax player had a little, bit, little thing to play in the front. I'd forgotten about that. Mm. And... Um, and, and I, I'm just playing the beginning of the song and suddenly there's a hand on my head. I'm on stage in front of 3,000 people and I turn around, it's Davey, our sax player, and he says, mm. if you ever do that again, I'll kill you. <laughs> and I went, I said, do what? And he said, bring this song in before I'm ready. And he goes, bam, and he headbutts me. Yeah. And mm. I went, whoa, reading back. And, um, and, and he came for me and I put my hand up and, and, and I, I managed to get one in. And I, I got so he he'd headbutted me, and I, and and I got him in the eye, right? And this is all going on, and the drummer he's like Just keeps on playing, right? Pop the guy, our, our our road man, our roadie who's standing aside, he, he was looking at girls in the front, you know, like looking yeah. at some girl in the front of the audience, right? He wasn't looking, right? So all this is going on. <laughs> Finally, somebody sees there's a big fight going on on the keyboard rostrum, right? And, 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 and he's alerted to it and he gets hold of Davey and he chucks him off the stage and, mm. you know, sends him into the dressing room. Ian comes over, you know, um, you know, takes full advantage of the melodrama and sings the rest of the song with head bowed on the Hammond, you know, is this what life has come to? Mm. And, um, and that was just, you know, when, when, when you're in, and, and, okay, so what happens next? I go into the dressing room and I think it's the law of the jungle at that point, you know, our roadie who, 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 you know, who had a, an illustrious past. He said, go on, Chaz, the thing now is you go in, just you and him. They held the rest of the band back. And I went <laughs> in there into, into the dressing room where Davey was. And um, Davey was apologetic, but, you know, he lost his rag, you know, too much sun. Um, which he, uh, you know, he was a, you know, he, he'd lost his rag. I mean, we'd all been in a, this little bubble and, and, you know, and that was just one example of um, how things could go nutty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, um, thanks for sharing that with me. I just enjoy, I always enjoy those type of rock and roll historic stories. It's just. I, I don't mean, listen, everything's all right with me and Davey now. And, but, you know, at, at the time you can imagine, you, you, you don't yeah. feel, 
it's it's destabilizing let's put yeah. it like that. <laughs> but you can laugh about it now i suppose yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah absolutely so, so moving forward a little bit so you know ian left us sadly in 2000 um what, what kind of adjustments did you make to continue carrying on with the blockheads then after ian sadly left us yeah well um you know phil jupiter stood in for ian for a little bit he was a huge mm. fan of ian's lyrics yeah. Um, and he said, listen, I'll help you out, lads, for, for a little bit. And, and he stood in, um, we did a few gigs with him. But then there was another guy called Derek the Drawer, Derek Hussey, who'd been Ian's unpaid minder and driver for quite a few years, since yeah. the early 90s. Yeah. And he, and he, um, he said he'd sing. Or we asked him to, and he knew all the lyrics. So from the year 2000 onwards, he sang with the band. Mm. But also... He wrote brilliant lyrics himself, really good lyrics. And I, I think we made either three or four albums with him writing. Mm. Really strong stuff. Um, well, Derek passed about a year ago, Derek Hussey. And then we were scuppered again, you know, like, well, now what are we going to do? And, um, mm. and I, I, a friend of mine who actually does a lot of graphic design, he's a graphic artist who uh, does work for myself, for my own work, uh, for my own albums and stuff I put up online, said he, he'd been working with this chap called Mike Bennett. And I don't know if you know who Mike Bennett is, um, but he's, um, he, he lives in Manchester. He's lived there for many years. And The name's ringing uh, a bell. It's not coming to me, though, but I'm rubbish, um, with, I'm rubbish with names in general. Oh, he, he's a, so prolific, you know, like, um, um, he's an actor, various things he's done. He's a producer. He's done a lot of stuff. But anyway, he joined the band about nine months ago. We've done about 12 or so gigs with him, and he's really doing a great job, mm. Mike Bennett. Mm. So um, that's where we are at the moment. Um, yeah. So and, any fisticuffs? Uh, in 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 the the current oh my <laughs> in the current band. No, no, that's what I mean. Right now, it, it's like I can't believe how democratic it feels. It it, okay. it, it feels like it is such a sweet energy. Yeah. I, Carl, I can't tell you. It's fantastic. Yeah, Brilliant. really lovely. So, how do you find the time to to do your own solo stuff as well? Then, well, I'm very fortunate that mm. you know I can do this full time. What I do, and yeah. obviously, um. We've never actually been, the Blockheads have never been a heavy working band. Okay. You know, it's not like we do, we do gigs every day. Um, we do maybe, what, 30 gigs a year? Mm. So that's a lot of days where I'm not working with the Blockheads. And mm. also, as I was saying earlier, my music taste is pretty broad. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of music I wrote, um, you know, I write is not suitable for the Blockheads. Mm. And a lot of that music will be will go elsewhere, you know. I mean, um, I, I do write quite a lot, but um, you know, only very few pieces actually make it out of my head or in my music room yeah. into the world, mm. the bigger world. And um, how how do you decide where something goes? If you if you if you if you, you, you write a piece of music, you physically love it. Um, you, you feel, how do you make a decision where, whether it's going to be something to do with the blockheads, something to do with your solo stuff or for other people? How, how does that process work? It's very difficult. Yeah. It's really difficult. Um, so 
it's a, it's, that's a very good, you know, interesting question because I'd like to think they, 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 they tell me where they want to go. Um, um, the more muscular Anglo-Saxon uh, um, sanguine, you know, oh, I'm using, pluck, plucking out words out of these. <laughs> I, know, I, I don't know what any of those mean, but I'll just go with it. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> anyway nor do I. I just, they sound good. They sound good. Anyway, there, there is something that a blockhead song yeah. has to have, right? Okay. Um, and um, those ones... I will, I will, I will, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say, I'll take them to the blockheads. I haven't written anything with Mike Bennett yet, mm. but with Derek, um, um, I used to, he used to come round to my yard or come out, so come around to my studio and my wherever I was working, and we used to sit and write songs together. Um, what I have noticed though. At the moment, we're doing very few live with the songs I wrote with Derek. Mm. Uh, we're doing one of the songs we wrote with Derek, and that's because Mike Bennett was such a huge fan of Ian mm. that um, that we're concentrating on that catalogue. Okay. And um, and we have a huge catalogue. And, and you mentioned this, this something earlier, that it's very difficult for artists, even Paul McCartney, mm. someone like that, he writes a new song. He might think this is the best song he's ever written, mm. but getting it into his live set is very difficult because the audience want to hear pieces they know. Mm. And so um, it doesn't start, stop the, an artist wanting to write, you know, we do it because we love writing, mm. but um, that's where we are at the moment. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we've got an, an hour and a, we do an hour, excuse me, an hour and a half set. Um, but they're mainly songs that we, you know, that I wrote with Ian or mm. other people wrote, um, I want to be straight. I didn't write that. I didn't write what a waste. So it's not always me that was co-writing yeah. um, these songs, but. Um, what, 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 yeah. what, what goes on in a minute? So we'll, we'll concentrate on your solo stuff now, because you've got a new single out. You've got your album coming out. <laughs> so so yeah. there's yeah. so much yeah. going on. It's ridiculous. I could be you, here for you, hours. you do want a life outside of this interview with me. <laughs> yeah. on. I, I know the it's feeling. Cool. No, no, it's but you can, yeah, go on. No, no I, I, like you mentioned, you know, you, you, you write for the blockheads, you write uh, for other people, you, you write for yourself. D- yeah. t- talk me through the the feeling that you get when you realise you've written one for yourself and it's going to be yours and your thing, not mm. anybody else's, just yours. Mm. Mm. What happens mm. then? Mm. Well, I was very fortunate. Coming back to Rhythm Stick, hit mm. me with the Rhythm Stick. On the back of that, I got a record deal with A&M. Mm. Um, uh, what, what I mean by that was during that period um, – I managed to accrue some some money I put in the bank mm. and um and I wrote a song called I Know Corita, which which with I co wrote it, which uh Quincy Jones went on to cover it. But that I wrote that and then on the strength of that and one of the songs I got a record deal with A and M. Mm. And um so with that advance from A and M and my royalties, I had just enough to build a studio. Um and I did uh, with a, with a, a chap called Philip Bagnall, who did the the hard labour and the designing, but I I provided the cash yeah. and uh, the musical inspiration. <laughs> um, that was in um, 1979, 79, 80, and we built a studio called East. We called it East Coast Studios. It was in Notting Hill Gate in London, mm. um, and that's where I made four albums on A and M, um, and. 
it was a phenomenally creative time. It was a brilliant old um, building that that was um, it still exists to this day. It's very popular with loads of artists from Mumford and Sons to Adele to jazz artists. I sold my share. Well, you know, sold the studio, I should say, in 1990. Mm. So since then, I haven't been working there. But I, I recorded some great stuff there. Yeah. A lot of the songs on my albums um, were co-written with Ian, Ian Dury. And um, one of, the big, one of the, my big songs there was a song called Glad to Know You, which um, isn't particularly well-known here in this mm. country, but it was a massive club hit in America. Mm. Um, and to, to, to this day, I, I, I sort of had a, a twin career whereby in this country I'm more associated with the blockheads. Right. In America, it's for my more the club uh, right. things. I had another song that I wrote with Ian called Number One, which is in a movie called Mike's Murder, which is a lot of people know me from that. Right. Um, but then also I was doing film scores. Um, I did a, a K2, the film score, um, although it's only on the director's cut these days. Right. Um, Hans Zimmer got you know replaced my music on the on another version of the film yeah. um but you, in a way i've i've always loved making music and with a with a movie the dialogue is is what you you know is is the equivalent of a lyric to a song yeah. so if you see what i mean the dialogue then becomes your focal point in a movie so you have to paint the appropriate music nice and that's what you're doing with a lyric with Ian. He never even used, he didn't know what a genre, he never used the word genre. He said, <laughs> you know, so whatever he pre presented to me, I would try and pa paint the appropriate color. And as time went, you know, paint the right music, the right environment for it. As time went on um, with Ian, I would then say, as he trusted me more, I'd say, mm -hmm. hey, how about this? And I'd, I'd present music to him. And um, and then he would write a lyric to that. And that was the way that was the such was the trust that we had between us. And so it could go either way. Um, would you put would you put your solo stuff into a genre? Ooh. Could you? Uh, well, the new album, the new album that yeah. we, you know, I'm going to put out, um, yeah. you know, called Flow. Mm. Uh, I would say it's very soulful based. It's right. very if I had to say, you know, what, what it's pretty funky. It's pretty yeah. soulful. Um you know, I, there's a lot of music I'm writing at the moment. I'm actually writing with a, a Duduk player. And you mm. may well, you ask, what is a Duduk? Well, um, you know, it's a Middle Eastern kind of clarinet kind of okay. instrument. Um, so I, I just love making music that moves me. But I'm not including that on <laughs> that kind of stuff on Flow, the album. Right, Flow, okay. Flow, I would say, is a collection of songs mm written over the last couple of years, um, although one goes back as early as, uh, as, as 2012, Ooh, yeah. way back then. <laughs> and, um, and, um, but most of it was written the last couple of years. And to be honest, just the single, Bodies Without a Soul. Yeah. Um, Out on the 5th of May, guys. Just so you know, there'll be a link to the description. I'll put a link to your website. I presume everything uh, everything will be on your website about yeah, where yeah. they can download and stream it. It'll be in the description of this podcast for everybody listening to. Yeah, it was only when I recorded that song that I mm. suddenly thought that was the last song I wrote. I thought, you know what? I could perform this stuff live nice. because I did do a gig back in 2012. One, mm. one gig I did with my, to do my own music. Yeah. 
uh, at the Jazz Cafe in Camden Town in London. And I had a 14-piece band. Uh, I, I did so much rehearsal that I got a frozen shoulder, you know, sh- carrying yeah. gear backwards <laughs> and forwards to, you know, keyboards, guitars, yeah. mic stands, you name it. And one arm was longer than the other at the end of it. Yeah. Um, very quite painful, really. Yeah. Um, but and I lost about seventeen hundred quid on the oh, gig. Uh, okay. It was, but you know, it was like hallelujah. You know, I'd done <laughs> it. I'd gone out, yeah. and I remember I had a lot of fun. Um, I'd even did reasons to be cheerful, and I'd mm. arranged Johnny's guitar solo for horns because I had a three-piece horn section, uh. and that stuff like that was really, you know, a lot of fun. Derek got up and sang a couple of songs. Um, nice. If I went out again doing my thing, I'd have to really cut it down. I'm, I don't think I could do it with less than five musicians and yeah. singers, you know. Um, <laughs> okay. so, you know, it's just not, you know, economic. <laughs> sure. Well, do, do you look forward to a new record release as if, you know, it was the first one again? So, you know, you've got you've got the album flow coming out. Reminders of the date that flow comes out, mate. Um, it, it, 19th of May. 19th of May. Uh, and I'll be on, uh, you know, chasyankle.com as well. We'll put the link in the description again for you. Are you still excited yeah. about the new album coming out as, as you were 40 years ago? How how's it still feel throughout the, all these years to, to still be doing it? Well, it feels fantastic, Carl. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, if you do something you love, it's not, it's not hard work, work is it? Yeah. And I'll I tell you what, really, honestly, I mean, I've been putting up odd pieces of music as singles over the years yeah. online, yeah. Um, just odd piece of music. And then one day I just suddenly thought to myself, what did we used to do in the old days? <laughs> oh yeah, we made albums. Yeah. And um, it it's a fantastic feeling to, you know, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I used to do when I was a youth. I used to sit and look <laughs> at, you know, Axis Boulder's Love or whatever, yeah. you know, and pour over the graphics and read about, and, you know, look at little details and photographs. And it was a quite a visceral yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, um, and, um, so I thought I'm going to put an album together mm. and to be honest, it, it, I don't think I'd be talking to you now if I didn't have an album, yeah. you know, I think people are somehow much more intrigued. It's like going to see a, an artist's work. You know, usually they'll have an exhibition mm. or a collection of work. You don't generally go and see an exhibition of one painting, do you? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, that painting would just be, one of hundreds sitting on the wall. But when you have an album or a collection, mm. it has a bit more of a kind of um, a bit more weight, mm. I think. Um, I feel good about it. I just know oh, I feel nice. that was it was the right thing to do yeah. oh, to bring this out, to put this album out. Well, I, I can't wait for the album, mate. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and having a chat today. Is, is there anything else you'd like to share with the people that uh, that are thinking about you know, pre-ordering your album or clicking on your website. Is there anything you want to say to Chaz fans just to, uh, just before they do it? <laughs> Chaz fans. Uh, Chaz fans. I like that. <laughs> um, not really. I mean, yeah. have a lovely day really. And yeah. as much as, I mean, make the most of it. I mean, one thing I've discovered <laughs> as I get older, 71 now, and probably most of your listeners or viewers um, are younger. There might be the odd one, you know, um, we're, we're, we're it, all mainly in his forties. There's a few younguns in there as well. Yeah. 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 Um, is just make the most of the day. I, I yeah. you know, if I have anything to say, is like don't squander the light. Is my latest, um, oh. you know, little quote. Well, no, not quote. It's just a thought I have. You know, the light is so incredible. I mean, uh, the the opportunity to do to be creative mm. is, is a fantastic gift. And I mean, 
Um, I think what I'm doing now, as I get older, yeah. I'm kind of consolidating. I've consol- okay. <laughs> you know, um, you know, tidying the papers, you know, straightening things up. Yeah. Um, but the art, the, the the truth of the matter is, you don't change. The old bo- the body might get older, but that spirit, it mm. never. The feeling you had when you're in a teenager, that excitement, um, never changes. You know, uh, as the creative spirit is always there. It's just whether you want to listen to it um yeah. it, it's always there you know great, and, message, man. great and, message. and just in conclusion i'd say that was my is what i'm trying to say in bodies without a soul yeah. is that however crazy and nutty this world is and we know it is we haven't even talked about that <laughs> but the, the, there's a lot of you know what i mean there's a lot yeah. of negative forces yeah. and you sometimes think how the hell am i are we going to shift that there's no, there's no um there's nothing in in the way of these people. There's, there's you know, there's no um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, control. Yeah. There's no nothing controlling the people who've got so much money, you know, and they they, they forge ahead. Yeah. As, but in spite of all of that, there's a place within you which is always calm, always peaceful, and and it's always there. It's it's beneath all of that, and I think just remembering that is the most wonderful feeling that um you know the that joy that's always there it's always there Charles Yankel thanks for your time mate really enjoyed it really appreciate it cheers pal oh mate Charles nice one thank you for joining us what a lovely lovely man yeah good episode eh plenty more in the archives as well ladies and gentlemen if you're new to the podcast take a look around uh, let us know your uh, let us know your feedback on the podcast as well. You know, give us a review, five star, of course, on Amazon and all that kind of stuff. Helps the algorithms. Boring to talk about, I know, but you've just got to mention it these days. Uh, if you can find it in your heart to spend just two seconds leaving a little review on Amazon, Spotify, uh, following, subscribing, all that bollocks, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you. So this week as well, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit of an announcement. There's going to be a bonus episode coming up midweek on Thursday as well that we'll surprise you with. Uh, we're trying to add more content to this podcast, spice things up and do new different things. So we're going to be bringing you more content out. Why not? Let's grow this thing. So I've got a busy week ahead. I'm going to get off, ladies and gentlemen. I've got a lot to do. Uh, so... Without further ado, I'm going to wish you all the very best for the week ahead. Have a great bank holiday, of course. Get out to some gigs. When you're at a gig, the most supportive thing that you can ever do for a band is just buy a t-shirt, a bit of merch, whatever you can afford. We know it's tough. The bands will appreciate more than what you'll ever know, I promise you. Uh, I wish you a great music week ahead, ladies and gentlemen. And, of course, we'll see you next Monday for a new episode of the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been Carl Maloney. Toodaloo. Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Hello. Did you know that you can support our podcast in many ways? Within the description of this podcast, you will see a list of all the equipment that we use. These are Amazon affiliate links. Clicking on these links take you to Amazon. If you buy whatever you're planning that week, we get a small kickback and you get a parcel at no extra cost. We would really appreciate your support. Or you can just go old school and donate a pound or whatever you feel is appropriate in there. 
please subscribe tell a friend about our show and thank you for your support and we'll see you next week